Hello and welcome to the Yoga Life podcast. This is Kevin. I uh, This is a bit of an exclusive because this episode, this weekend, will be available to watch on YouTube. It's a bit of a transition for me and uh, whenever you do a transition there's always a, some sticking points and there's a learning curve. So it's Thursday today and I always release these episodes on a Thursday because I said to myself, look, there's loads of variables in life. Sometimes things don't go as, as planned. But no matter what, I'm going to release an episode every Thursday. Now, the video version of this takes it a lot longer. So it'll be out hopefully this weekend, fingers crossed. So maybe if you're listening to this episode and it's 24th of November to 2019 onwards, you'll be able to find this episode on YouTube. As you can see, I haven't really, I'm not very slick at this because uh, I'm transitioning. But anyway, this podcast is brought to you by The Nature of Things, pure essential oils for your room, for your body, if you uh, dilute them, that is, and to help you to tap into the sense of smell, which I think is really powerful. And these guys do it very, very well. They also provide diffusers in exchange for money. And if you have some money and you'd like to get some, get some, then you can go to their website, thenatureofthings.ie, and you put in the promo code YOGALIFE for 10% off. Yeah, YOGALIFE 10% off. Come up to Christmas, maybe do that. If you'd like to get some food for your face and to look after the environment, you can go to Small Changes too. Small Changes are based in Drum Condra, which is in Dublin, and they are an organic whole food store. There's no promo code. You can just go in there and support them by uh, getting some grub, if you like. The This episode is um, with Keith Fox. There's loads I can say about Keith Fox. Um, you won't find him on Instagram. I met him, we go back a, a little while. He actually did a, a brilliant, uh, he tells a, uh, he tells phenomenal stories. But to be honest, um, I'm not really selling my uh, my podcast here. He does a great job on Jody Kennedy's podcast. If you check out... Um, Resident Resonance Healing, I believe it's called. Sorry, Jody, if I got that wrong. But Jody uh, is Keith is on Jody's podcast too. So maybe listen to Jody's podcast and listen to mine. Listen to Keith on both, and uh, you know you get a, a rounder picture of, of the man. But yeah, I don't want to sum Keith up in 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 words because he does that better himself. Um, anything that can happen in your life, it's happened to Keith, and he. He tells he's a bit of a cheeky chap he's a, he's got but he's a deep soul man and he's um soul man and he's a, he's a, in the process of writing a book as well so yeah there's plenty more to come from Keith he's a free spirit but um yeah if you enjoy this episode and uh it kind of we're going to have a bit of a looser format then feel free to leave a review on iTunes 90 yeah that's 90 five star reviews you're too kind thank you so much it makes a big difference i'm not sure how it makes a difference i mean it makes a difference to me because i feel feel better about myself <laughs> but also it makes a difference to i believe the rankings on on itunes which is how the podcasts get found and you can share this as well with people on instagram you can't tag keith because he's not there but um yeah if you like it share with your friends and if you're um, yeah as i said this podcast format is going to change and evolve uh, i'll probably listen back to this intro and this um this episode and cringe a little bit because you know when we're changing we've got to try things 
And uh, I'm kind of trying to keep this as genuine as possible. You know what I'm saying? So that's it for now. I'll, uh, I'll uh, without further ado, here's the intro music. I'm also thinking of getting rid of the intro music and just going straight into conversation. Yeah, let me know what you think anyway, because I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about this podcast and this episode. All right, without further ado, here's the main man himself, Keith Fox. How are you? I'm okay. <laughs> Long time now, see you, Yeah, mate, how are you? Cheers, by the way. Yeah, slide check. Nettle tea. Nettle um, tea. Keeping it real. Yeah, so, um, yeah, long time no see, man. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was saying, so how we know each other is uh, <laughs> an interesting tale because sometimes you meet people in life and they, they plant a seed in your head. Mm-hmm. And I remember about three years ago, I was at Jiu-Jitsu in George Santos, um, great gym here in Dublin. And... I met, met you uh, on the mat and got talking to you. I remember um, I said, uh, what do you do for a living in the changing room? Mm-hmm. And you said, oh, I teach Pilates. I, I think that's like part of what you said, you know, yeah, part of it. Yeah, Because you had yeah. many skills. Um, and I thought, that's your job. That That is a job. I didn't even realise that was... You know, you can live in your own echo chamber sometimes. And when you're doing like an, an office job, let's say, you think that's the only way to make money and when I when you said that to me it it planted a seed in my head and I thought this is something I've been thinking about for a while I've been thinking about doing something where I get to meet people I I get to um do something physical and something that's actually going to help like um it's good for people as opposed to like oh gym stuff which doesn't really interest me the whole aesthetic so when I met you that was a huge seed partner so thank you for yeah, that by the way. Yeah. well just for me uh a friend of mine years ago always talked about liberation. Yeah. And I never got the concept of what that meant. But I have it today. I know what that means in all areas. You know, it's not being in a box because we're brought up a certain way. We act a certain way. We dress a certain way. We conduct ourselves in a certain way by the standards and beliefs of other people. Mm. We walk in a criteria of a box position. You know, and uh, when I found this way of life of being liberated <laughs> from a ma aspect to life. So it was transformed. It took time. Mm. Like a seed was planted with me. There was a guy that walked in the elbow realms, Brian. He lives in America now. He was a plant-based teacher. And I loved his energy, how he carried himself, how confident he was. He was only five or four, but he, he could hold a realm, mm. you know, and he was strong. And, and I wanted that. You know, and a couple of years after, I went to sign on for a yoga class up in uh, the sanctuary up off uh, Brunswick Street. And I was only giving them a deposit. And the next enrollment, they rang me and says that they had to give it to the locals first, the people that were always there. Mm. And I had to come and get their deposit back. And I was a little bit thrown off by that, a little bit paid. <laughs> as you, shall as, we say. Yeah, shall we say. <laughs> but I ended up going down and... I was walking down the road, coming from the Grange Garmin, and, and, and his, my, his picture, of, picture of him came into my head at that moment, that light bulb. Mm. That guy, Brian, walks around here somewhere. And I walked into the elbow rooms, you know, and uh, I can't talk highly of that place because it changed a lot of people's lives with mental health issues, with community, and, and it helped me as well because uh, I used to go in there and I used to practice 
didn't know what he was doing. He was playing for classes, but I felt part of, you know. And I've always been looking for a tribe, mm. all my life, you know. But when you were, because um, uh, when you were growing up, because you're originally from Dublin, right? Yeah, in a yeah. city. Whereabouts in the city? Around the fruit markets area. That's where all my family are from. Yeah. So from a young age, I would have been a fishmonger. I would have been <laughs> cleaning turkeys. I would have been loading containers. I would have been a paper seller. I would have walked in the forecourts. Every second week, a 40-foot would pull up with all brickets, and I'd be loading them off the shoe, the truck onto the shoe. And I learned very quickly that the ones that were broken, they disregarded and I was able to bring them home to the house to my mum. So mm. we had heat. <laughs> right. You know, so we'd have a wheelbarrow yeah. of brickets bringing them home. So it was kind of like the Robin Hood of the family. <laughs> yeah. I always, I was the eldest boy, so I always thought I had to provide or I had to be a caretaker. And, and when I moved into teaching aspect, when I found this way of life, this found me. Mm. It was just a natural progression into that because I was already, most teachers are caretakers. What counselors, what brother, sister, whatever you are, like what a community based thing that we put out energy, we listen to other people suffering, we help and heal. So, you know, I've always had that trait in me, mm. you know, growing up. Mm. I was always looking out for the underdog. Mm. You know, we go for the messages for the elderly people, I'd open the door, I'd let them on the bus, I'd let them sit down in front of me. And I still love it. I've always got them traits. But as I was growing up, my environment changed. You know, uh, playing football, boxing, because I used to box in the boxing club with my brother and we were very good. But things changed, the community changed. Like, you know, there was different aspects of different things coming in. You know, addiction was coming in. Alcohol. Addiction. Yeah, alcoholism, all that kind of stuff. Like, on the weekends, you see everyone sitting around drinking cans and playing cards. So there was a lot of... Uh, the social aspect was completely different, you know, and then the party scene started to happen, you know, where people were going to nightclubs, you were going raving, ecstasy was coming into the picture, and, and it progressed for me. So it was like I was always in a tribe, mm. but I was never an anchor in a tribe. I was always just going with what was going. Mm. It was like, you know, I, I, I always say that cliche, it was a blown in the wind. <laughs> I was here, I was there, <laughs> I was here. You know, and uh, for a long period of, a long 20-year run, mm. that's where I was. You know, uh, I was dragged from pillar to post. Whatever the circle I was in, I was, I went to the extreme of that circle. Mm. You know, whether it was partying, it was drug taking, it was experiment with new drugs, crime fitting in with people. I was always trying to fit in and I didn't know where I fitted in. You know, and uh, up to the end, like, my life was very unmanageable and everything around me was unmanageable, but I didn't see the unmanageability. It's like when you're in the storm, in the middle of a tornado, you can't see what's going around, like, the hell is everything is just falling around you or being pulled out of its roots. You know, but I was just caught up so I learned over time, I was on the wheel of suffering. So I was in Sansara. Yeah. And I know about that today and what that entails and that manifests in different areas of people's lives. You know, we, we get caught up in the same thing. We repeat the same patterns until we get knowledge or awareness. We can not step off that wheel. 
Uh, and that's where the holistic aspect has helped me with the yoga, meditation, all that kind of stuff. But for the 20 years that I was lost, I, I was a shell of a human being. I had no emotional connection to anything of anyone. I had a son. I had a relationship. I had a mother, a father. I had brothers. I had family. But I had no anchor. Again, I was a win. I didn't feel I fitted in in any dynamics. When I was in the house, I wanted to be out of the house. Hmm. When there was a gathering of a family event, I felt ostracized. I felt I didn't fit in. I, th- I thought I wasn't even a family member. And it was just my mindset, you yeah. know. Because I had a lot of trauma. And that's well, what... What was the... Sorry to interject, just on the eye of the storm. What was the... What was your your lowest point? My breaking point, I had a spiritual awakening that changed it all. You know, uh, I nearly died. I was nearly murdered for my behaviour, for antisocial behaviour, for the way I was doing things and how I was treating things around me. I had no respect, you know. Uh, I was drug dealing to feed a habit, not to feed money, to feed a habit of an insane hole that I couldn't fill. At that time, I didn't see that I was doing any wrong. I thought it was all, it was all a blame game, you know. And the book stopped with me, you know. Uh, so I had a spiritual awakening. Not after that, long after that, not long after that. Uh, I was in a pub with my father in Smithfield, and he was drinking, you know. And I needed money, so I had to go up and ask him for a loan. And uh, he went downstairs into the pub that we were in and fell down the stairs and took a heart attack, hit a concrete wall. And uh, an old man came to me and says, that guy, I think he's on a fallen. And I ran down and looked and I could see a pair of feet sticking out of the wall, the corner of the wall. Ran down the stairs. Was my father was lying. He was on having a heart attack. I revived him, gave him out to me. I didn't see it on the TV, but it was company's chest, mouth to mouth, brought him back. Got an ambulance brought him to the hospital and left and went using more drugs. Didn't care that the man was on the bin at death's door. And that's the disease of addiction, what I had done. It takes away any morals or values. It doesn't give you any. It's it's like you're being dragged through a storm. And, 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 and it's horrible, you know. And the kids today, they don't even know what they're entail, what it's Because what's going around today now is like, it, they're getting younger. They get more violent. And you know, the morals and values, they've known because they're not being channeled in the right area from a young age. They're not given opportunities. They're not told you can do this, you can be this, you can be all you want. I was never told that I could be whatever I wanted to be. I was in a class because I had ADHD. I was in a lower class with 40 pupils and none of us were going to amount to that. A couple of us are scientists. One or two are doctors, accountants. I'm a teacher, like... So they never instilled that value on more. So why would we think that we could amount to that we just went with the pack? You know, and that's the, that's the way society, the schooling system is, it, it's still the same pack and order. Mm. You know, A, B and C. Mm. But sometimes the C is the, it has the talent and the amazement that we haven't even seen yet. Mm. You know, because we've seen that over time with other people, you know. Yeah, it's like if you, I mean, even the IQ system is flawed yeah. because someone just made that up and yeah. they assumed that was what measures intelligence the box the box yeah. someone else's box mm-hmm. live in my box walk in my box mm-hmm. act in my box mm-hmm. and that liberation so when I was in school I was outside the class I was afraid to put my hand up and answer the question in case I got it right 
<laughs> and then I was afraid to put my hand up in case I got it wrong and everyone would judge me. Yeah. Why were you afraid to get it right? Because I wasn't used to being told you're good, you're right, well done. Mm. But yeah, I'm very artistic, articulate. I'm very, ar- I, I'm a great drawer. I'm great at mathematics. I'm amazing at art. And I have a lot of other coping skills. Like I can strip something and build it back up. You give me something to look at and I'll draw it. I'll paint it. Were you also afraid, and I'm not trying to lead you with this no, question, but were you also afraid of being right because of what your classmates would think of you? Because I know when I was growing up, if you to be smart was a bad thing by the lads, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, was that was that an element of it at all? Of course, because the class we were in was all the head cases. I'm not saying I'm a head case. All the, <laughs> all the hyper worthy guys and girls, you know. Uh, and all it was is we hadn't got a channel. We had nothing to channel that in. In today's society, does exercise, does music, does yoga. In Dubai, they bring jiu-jitsu. It, it's the curriculum. You have to do jiu-jitsu like I do jiu-jitsu today. And it, it centers me mind and grounds me in ways that I've never experienced. I've experienced it through meditation, through some practices, some prana breathing, different things. So it's all about breath. Uh, and when we're in fight or flight, we're not breathing. We're mm. not connecting to the source. The source is us. The power is in us. What we can be is in us. You know, when someone says, uh, be the best you can be, we can, you know, but we're not being taught that in, in society, you know. It, it, it's like Louis Vuitton, Canada Goose. You have to wear a certain brand to be a certain person today, and that's a lot of bollocks. Mm-hmm. Sorry for the language. It's okay. You know what I mean? It's not. Like, I buy something two minutes after it's gone, that feeling is gone. What am we left with? Why did I buy it? What was the reason? What was I feeding? What was I running from? And, and over time, we've learned how I tick. I don't get it right all the time. But the the rock bottom was, uh, and this is my rock bottom. This It wasn't being shot at, nearly dying with my son in my hands. IRA trying to kill me back then. Did it, they had a right because my antisocial behaviour was off the wall. I didn't have any consideration for anything or anyone around me. I was on a destructive path. I hadn't got the capability of killing myself. But yeah, I was putting myself in situations to be killed. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Insane actions. What, Keith, that's a good point because I don't know about the suicide statistics. I mean, you hear it's hard to know where these, how this information is gathered. Um, but it does seem like it's getting worse. And it sounds to what you've just said there about what happened with your father. And there are, you, you got to a point where it was quite low and you someone someone else maybe may have wanted to kill himself if they were you what why this sounds like a weird question but what kept you going as in you wouldn't you you felt that um being in that situation that life was worth living so up to that point i never seen any wrong that's the delusion oh right i'd blink or something yeah i didn't see anything i was doing i I didn't see the wrecks i was leaving behind the people i was haunting do you know, the trauma I was on the cause and, and causing myself, because it's me as well that was suffering. Mm. The more I suffered, the more people suffered around me, you know, uh, and my mechanisms was just hot and cold. I could knock off and disconnect from an emotional state because I didn't know what that was until I started doing practice and connecting with yoga and connecting with my spirit and interacting on an honest, 
one-to-one basis with people and communicating the real me, taking away the mask, because we all have masks. It doesn't matter if you have an addiction or not. We all have masks. We have vessels we run to, to escape the feelings of whatever's going on. You know, someone says something to you, we close down or we go for a drink or we progress backwards, mm. we introvert, whatever. Everyone has a mechanism, mm. but not everyone is aware <laughs> of what we do. It's a repetition of, you know, uh, Gabe Armate talked about trauma. Yeah. You know, so from a young age, like when I was born, my mum had a, uh, she had a nervous breakdown, okay? So when I was born, she was only on the money of my father. They were love of that life. They were in love. I was born. My mum had a breakdown. She was took to the psych ward. I was took away from her. My dad turned to drink. My mum came out of hospital. Wasn't the same woman. She was only getting shock treatment. She was only being treated probably horrible in them places in the Grange Common. So that trauma of a young child, I carried that. I didn't know that. So when I used to go and see my mum on a Sunday in the Grange Garment, I'd see them strapped to beds, I'd see pee stains in the bed, I'd see mesh on the windows, one flew over the cuckoo nest. That's vividly 100% accurate. I'd see people screaming, and I was a child. So them scars would carry on in life, where there'd be disconnection. So I didn't have an, an, an internal mother figure. So I was like passed from pillar to post with family members to help me and guide me and nudge me and others took advantage of me. So I was suffering through all that. So when the addiction and the gangs came along, it was like it was a pack that I felt safe in because I never felt safe in that before. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's human nature yeah. to, to want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. So from a young age, and this is my own diagnosis and other people's that have told me because I ask people what they see in me. Because I can't learn with my own blinkers. I need honest feedback. I need people to be brutally honest sometimes. Okay, you're acting the bollocks. <laughs> you know, and that's okay. Like it's it's good to get criticism from people that love you, you know, if they're coming from an honest place. So what that in turn done for me, it turned my coping skills through life. I was a survivor and you were talking about how did they survive not killing myself? Because I'm a survivor. But in that survivor, I took away empathy, love, compassion from other people to allow them in because they don't trust. So all through my life, I've had that wall up. So when I came to the end of my addiction, I had nothing. I had nothing to escape from it. I had nothing to suppress. I was living in reality. So my father, he took that heart attack a couple of weeks after. Same thing again in the house. I was in the bedroom and uh, heard a bang and I walked out and he was on the hitting the floor again and having another heart attack. Brought him around again, twice. Got him to the hospital. A couple of weeks after, it was my mum and his 34th anniversary and they were on having a fight. My mum was on a trial in the mill and he was on the streets and he was proud. Pride. Pride yeah. kills people. Yeah. You know, didn't want help from anyone. And uh, the bills are where he drank around at the, he had a paper stall at the four courts with his brother. And he was there the one morning. And I went around talking to him and I was asking him how he was. How concerned. And, and we got into conflict because he was saying, you're here for your mum, blah, blah, blah. And it was all image in front of his friends. The next day, I seen him in James Street on the slab dead. He was undertaking a heart attack on my brother's chair that night. So the last conversation we had with my father was an argument. So that was me rock bottom after that. 
had a spiritual awakening. I was going to get, I was on medication and I was going to the pharmacy one morning, it was raining and I ended up at the grave in Glass and Ebon and at that time you have to wait a couple of months before the ground is settled, before you can get a headstone, so there was a wooden cross and I believe his sacrifice is my liberation. So I believe by him passing away, I got a chance to live. What, what do you mean? Right, so when I never got, I, all the time that I tried to get clean and tried to recover my life and tried to put it in the perspective of the next right thing, it never happened. But my rock bottom, and they say a spiritual intervention. Oh, I get you. So my father's death. Yes. was more spiritual and okay. liberation. It wasn't that he was holding you back from anything. It was just no. the fact that it made you realise... Um, some Yes, I mean, I suppose just that... Spiritual awakening. Spiritual awakening, exactly, yeah. Exactly. And he's my higher power, and every year, like, that I'm coming up to the 14 years in recovery, uh, and I don't mind breaking me on an interview, because uh, there's people out there that don't even know about recovery. There's people out there that's not being told that there's a way out of being suppressing yourself in drugs and escaping from life and thinking you're not worth it and you have no value and you, you know and every family has family members that are suffering through addiction but it's not highlighted and it's not flagged and it's a taboo they're put down but people it's like when you're in a social thing it's I'm not justifying it when you do something for a long period of time it becomes a habit mm-hmm. and a long period of time mm-hmm. to break that habit it's very hard, whether that's smoking, whether it's gambling, whether it's sex, whether it's drugs, so whether it's life. buying clothes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Gabor Mate talks about it again, and it's the trauma of our upbringing that we carry into our man or womanhood. And if we don't look at it, sans are, if we don't get off the wheel, yeah. we're going to keep on repeating it, mm-hmm. and we're going to keep on robbing the grow because we won't grow. Mm-hmm. And I'm, sick, I'm just sick of robbing myself and other things around me. Mm because of how I feel, or my perception of things, because my perception of things are totally warped. But in all of this, I ended up, when my father died, I ended up going into his treatment centre. And, and the funny thing about the story is, the first day I went in, so I'm, I'm on a high dosage of this, that, those, and the other of drugs, doctor's prescription and street drugs, and I'm going into a detox centre. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. It's a leap of faith. A friend of mine and my brother come to pick me up. I have two black bags of design on the clothes, all brand names, all image. I gold, jewellery, bracelet, <laughs> T-bar, and I did an Xbox. All going into a treatment centre, and my friend says to me, where the fuck are you going? And I said, I don't know. He says, you'll be selling that in Ballyferma by the end of the night. You'll be back using. Left it in the house, went out to the treatment centre, full of fear walking in and, and and I remember that fear I remember because it was like it was like a breakup it was like a death I knew on the way out in the taxi I could feel it I could feel my spirit saying you're done this is it you're done I could feel it but I didn't know what it was what I was doing but I was doing it hmm. went into the treatment centre First day, uh, everyone was there and we were in their groups. There was 10 or 12 and they were all talking about how far they were. And they all sounded spiritually grounded and very well. They were clean. They were going to this place, that place. That night, someone got out the window, went to the off license, got back in. 
they had a hoodie. I didn't drink because I know what drink used to do to me. They got, they went out the window. The, one of the guys crapped out the window, got down to the off. He did what? Out the creeped. Window? Oh, creep. Sorry. Yeah, creep. not crapped. Creep. <laughs> 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 they got away with everyone that night, but the next day they tried it again, and the guy got caught by security on the grounds on the way back, and he had a list of who wanted what and who gave what money. So all of them were thrown out, and I was in the treatment centre on my own. You know, and the fear. And uh, I ended up getting through that. Because I knew I was there. I knew, I knew. If I could back out, I can't do another 20 years. I need to just sit here and sit with what's going on and the mm -hmm. suffering. And then I was coming off high dose of medication, uh, of antidepressants, sleeping tablets, fucking methadone, heroin, crack cocaine. <laughs> Yeah, I was. This was all coming out of my system when I coming through this. So I had psychosis for a, a long period of time. I had a post-traumatic stress syndrome, and I'm not labelling who I am. I, I know that was a process to clean the system. Hmm. But in this, there was a, a guy that used to come to the treatment centre, and he used to teach yoga. I'm not going to say his name, but he, he helped me and he saved my life because hmm. he gave me a purpose. Because three times a week he come up and he taught yoga in the treatment centre. And when I'd be in Shavasana, I could visualise things and I could feel the ground softening. I could feel the grass. I could smell. You know, I could see the sandy beach. And I wanted more of that. And I was intrigued, you know. And this guy, even though he was getting paid, right, he wasn't getting paid because he brought more than 110% into that room. He brought love, compassion. And I started seeing that the first time in my life and allowing that to be in my life. So I was having a transformation. Mm. So I got through that and I went over to another place in the Phoenix Park. I won't say the name because you'll have to edit it. And again, there was a teacher there that was doing the same thing. So these were planting seeds before I even seen the manifestation and the growth. Mm. And I remember uh, the one of the counsellors asked me what I'd like to be. And, and I love Bruce Lee and I love martial arts. And I, I'm not Chinese, but I said I'd love to be Bruce Lee and a personal trainer. And I never thought of anything of it again. And I let that, planted that seed and gone. Went into the Phoenix Park, got through that program, and then I came out. And I ended up, I started doing yoga off a DVD in a recovery house because I was living there for 12 months. So I got up in the morning at 7 o'clock, put on the DVD, go through the sun salutations, didn't know what I was doing. But I was off present. I was in that moment. And, and yoga is not only about a physical aspect. Yoga is about community. Like me and you talking that day, that's yoga. Oh, mate, I'm so glad you said that because I remember not just then, but actually I was sitting in the elbow room uh, and I was sitting across from you and asking you, basically like my mentor saying, um, "What's what do you advise I should do next in terms of you know, I want to become a yoga teacher? And you said to me, I never forget it, this is yoga. And I didn't understand at the time. To me, yoga was the asana, the posture. I didn't understand about a communication and essentially communicating from a place of love as opposed to empathy, hate. Empathy, compassion. Empathy, compassion. And if you're... Um, because I, I, I think we, we're so um, transfixed with the visual and uh, that we, we, we forget that. But so I, what you said there, it, it reminded me of that. And um, so when you had these two teachers... Yeah, and you did the DVD. Yeah, what was it about the, say, like the, that combination of having been in the class, those two classes, and 
doing the postures uh, that made you think this is something I would like to continue? It wasn't the hoy. It was the disconnection from the Rainstone Moint. Yeah, the, the samsara. So oh, it was so coming from suffering. the head to the gut, not to the heart, to mm. the gut. Mm-hmm. So it was connecting with how I was rather than how I thought. Mm-hmm. Because my thinking... Yeah, come closer. Yeah. Because my thinking yeah. is not my actions. Mm-hmm. I can think anything that's off the wall, but my action is the cause and effect of that thinking. If we take action in, so the sanas, the sun salutations, the breathing, the different postures, the hitting the walls, these, you know, you're hitting metaphorical walls. Yeah, 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 physical aspects and walls of an emotional state when you're trying to get into the pose and you want to progress and you have to work on it and you have to align your body, you have to nurture, you have to breathe. Mm. Most important, you have to connect with the breath because the breath is the key. Uh, unlocks and that's what they say in it, in, in it that you have to unlock the different bandits mm-hmm. you know or you connect uh, and over time I've had loads of experiences of different things but in this I was still searching so I was down the DVD I was down the day program and I wanted to find out about meditation because before I was on the putting down the tools and changing my life and trying to put it in order the way I'm meant to be walking in grace of God because I'm meant to be walking with God's love not mine because my will is where it left me in the treatment centre with all the trauma from the past and news and that and news and after so I had to take ownership and I had to grow up take responsibility you know and uh, I remember doing this and I wanted to do meditation and uh, mm. A friend of mine, 20 years ago, or 18 years ago, brought me to a retreat up in Jambaling, up a uh, cabin. And I met this uh, Rinpoche. What's that? He, he's a Buddhist monk. So he's Rinpoche? The, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. So uh, Yeshi, Rinpoche Yeshi. He's, uh, he was there giving a uh, practice. Uh, and I was there, and I was there for the weekend, and... I never thought of that it. Just turned up, had a great weekend, really connected to more group work. But 18 years after, I'm in Kamenim in a Buddhist centre because I've been, I've been searching for things all the time. I'm trying to nurture myself, whatever. You know, I've been just trying to find my anger for that <laughs> balloon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And I remember ending up in uh, Inchi Car and the guy that brought me the 18 or 15 years prior sitting there giving practice and the Rinpoche that was given the practice is there as well mm. and I was like wow <laughs> you know and at that time there was a friend of mine um, Michael we ended up he went I met him in the Phoenix Park through treatment and we became friends and in this time I was coming up to two years sobering clean you know so, and that we we commemorate every year as a milestone we get a medallion I put my medallion on my father's grave he gets recovery as well every year I stack them up you know he's the saint dad in his statue and that's my homage of respect back to him that's me making amends even though he's not here in the physical asset he's here now with me because I've seen the fella before I walked up so I know I know I, I see signs all the time I, I, I've experienced a lot of 
a lot of signs over the time, you know. And uh, so Michael says to me, "Do you want to go? There's a place in Thailand, a Buddhist place called Tampa Bok. Would you like to go and take refuge?" And my mum at that time, she was only having a stroke two weeks just before I decided to go. And I went up to the hospital her and I told her, and she was only being paralysed on both sides. And it was hard, hard and painful to see her that way. And I said, I'm going to go to Thailand. I'm going to become a Buddhist monk. And you're going to get better by the merit. And I could see by her face, she rolled her eyes first, as it to say, he's on another one. <laughs> but she told me to go. You know, and the two of us cried. And, and we went. Uh, and I had the uh, most amazing experience of human connection. I was took out of the environment of the shiny things because I'm a magpie, I'm attracted to shiny things like everyone. We all have our flavour or what we like. And I went into the jungle and the day I was going in, we had a video, we were doing a video feed like this, uh, the documentary about it. And uh, it's, they do a herb, 164, 167 different herbs and you drink it and it's like it's a back on your puke. Like ayahuasca, it's like... Yeah, but it's not a mind-altering. It's... Uh, there's no... Holistic, there's no hallucinogenic aspect of it it's about cleansing and then they put you into a sauna that's four times as hot mm-hmm. as a normal sauna a man made and they put leaves in and all in all the herbs and I'm actually going back now in January to do it again yeah yeah but it's totally it just cleanses the like my wallet's downstairs I'd show you the picture of me as a monk and how calm and hmm. You know how how essent, <laughs> how no stress. Is that how the head, the shaved head started? Yeah, yeah. Is it really? Yeah, and eyebrows. And the funny thing, the last day, shaved eyebrows as well. Yeah, and yeah, any facial hair. Yeah, yeah. And, and chest. Yeah, full moon, full moon. You're gone. And very moon, funny. Was it full moon? What, how do you mean? When there's a full moon, you have to have a shave. That's that's the Buddhist ah, way. Is that yeah. It? And the funny thing about it is, the last day, <laughs> I thought I was going to get away with it, so I'm leaving the monastery. And they shaved me as well. I think it was just they took the pee out of me. <laughs> but when I was there, like, it was surreal. Like, we went in, the day we were going in, we were in a tuk-tuk, and this, the mist is coming over the mountain. There's two joint elephants with tusks, and we're going through on a tuk-tuk, and, and it was like, my father's anniversary was that day. Because I might have been on doing an interview before we went to the monastery saying, today I'm very emotional, it's my father's anniversary, and... I'm having a leap of faith. I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it anyway. I'm going into something I don't even know. And I'm used to going into things I don't know now because I'm starting to just have a leap of faith. Things are just manifesting. Things are being put in my life. Things are being taken away out of my life. For whatever reason, I'm getting learning rather than resenting and rather than controlling and trying to hold on to things. Mm-hmm. You know, detachment. Yeah. So I goes into the monastery and... We're sitting there and all the abbots are all around the table and they don't know whether they're going to take us in because they'd had bad times with Irish people. There's a famous guy that went there and after all for everyone. Like a celebrity? Yeah, I'm not going to say his name. Okay. But, you know, he went in and brought a majority of them out drinking. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, because it's a detox as well for people with addictions and as well as cl- uh, holistic so you can go in there, I've seen scientists in there, I've seen doctors, I've seen people from all walks of life. I actually, I have a couple of different pictures. There was a woman that her son was going through a detox and she was from the States and and she went in and done the vomiting detox mm. with him. And I had a picture of the two of them sitting back to back to each other. It was just a beautiful black and white moment of like, 
the true essence of her mother mind and her son. And this kid was 20 odd, mm-hmm. and she was there, she was going through the suffering with him, shawl at the shawl. And them kind of things just, I start saying things in a light that I'd never seen, I start saying empathy and compassion. And in the mornings when we'd be sitting down for the food, so from seven to eight, you could eat what you want. After that, you can't eat till the next day. It's a 24 hour fast. You get a gla- bottles of water and you get a, 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 a your mantra. So uh, and the, the abbot gives you a mantra and for seven days you have to say it and then you chew it. So I have my own, I'm not gonna say it, but- You chew the paper? Yeah, cause, cause you're eating your truth. And mm-hmm. then when stuff comes up, you say your mantra. Uh, and it's like it's a healing power to help you to give you courage to give you strength. And today I still use in different things. I'd say, mm. yeah, but it's mine. Yeah, 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 it's it's confidential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's your it's your it's your little till, yeah. you know. And I remember in the thirty mor- first day we were there and they were giving us ladles, big ladles, silver ladles with rice with this and that. And we were that hungry. We were just because we were thinking really 24 hours, get as much as we can in. But there was two people sitting every day in front of us, smiling. And we didn't know, because a lot of them didn't speak English. These were the lay, so the lay people, the villagers around the monastery come and feed the monks and then wait for the leftovers and bring it home to their family. So they were the villagers, the two people sitting? Every day someone had people in front of them, mm-hmm. all, the, all of them, all the way up to the abbey. Mm-hmm. And, and they'd sit and wait with bags and smile and, and we didn't, it took a couple of days for us to realise what, the more we ate, the less they got. Oh. So we learned very quickly, not very quickly over time, that compassion mm-hmm. and greed, we didn't need it. And we started seeing, we were transforming and the other, <coughs> excuse me, abbots and the monks, they were seeing it. So they started bringing us into the community aspect because they were a little bit cagey at the start because there's four, three mad Irish young presenter coming over. I'm all around with a pair of Ray-Ban glasses in a monk's suit with a pair of earphones, like, you know what I mean? It's not the norm, you know? It's a norm today because of the phone aspect and life and earphones and all. You'd see monks all the time walking around with laptops and all. But at that time, it was little Nokia phones, so it was kind of a little bit, mm. you know? But over the time that we were there, it's amazing the experience. And my yoga every morning. Are you the yoga, man? And I was doing yoga every morning before I went down for breakfast. What I learned on the CD, what I could remember from the two individuals that were on it helping me. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah. And I was trying to put my own flow together. But what it was, was I was taking stock of how I felt. I was writing down stuff. I was how my feelings was, how I was emotionally. Mm-hmm. I was connecting with my source, even though I didn't know what I was doing. And that's what I mean. when You know when you step onto your mat? It's not what comes out on the ma- in the flow, like what comes out in the heart, mm. what comes out in here, what you come off the mat with, mm. whether you leave the stuff, you know, because most of the time, like today I done a uh, big run, I didn't think of anything on anyone in the whole 90 minutes. What did you think of then? I thought of the breath and the flow and the alignment, and I haven't done big run in a couple of years, and I just moved back into it today. But I was so proud of myself because using my race and mind, we'd be thinking, even in practice, I'd be going, I'd be thinking the phone, I'd be thinking to call him back, her back, mm. or to get this, or to get the messages. But today, it was just a beautiful flow, and then I'm up here doing this now. That's the beauty of actually, of, of Bitgram. I mean, I mean, I have my qualms about Bitgram, but that is the beauty of a set sequence where you don't have to think what's coming next. And then those little pauses when the mind can wander. Instead, you know what's coming next. So you can actually in, in enjoy the flow. Uh, and I think, like jiu-jitsu as well, 
when you're in a flow state, that's when you're um, you're moving, you're 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 altering your consciousness. You're yeah, building with everything around you. Exactly. Yeah. There's no start and start. Mm. Yin and yang flow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the so back to the monastery. Yeah. So when we were leaving, there was a there was a Ajahn Tong. He w- he's an architect. He's does everything in the place. He's amazing hand sculpturing. Like he's built most of the temple. I think he's there thirty odd years. Could be a little bit longer now. But this man was just so kind and loving and thoughtful, and he was just so nice all the time. It was just surreal, you know. And uh, he he built a lake, like dug a lake, built a house on the side of it for a Down syndrome niece. Had a swing, and every day I'd go down and I'd push her on the swing, and she never talked because we didn't know how to communicate through verbal aspect. But there was a connection on an emotional and an energy aspect, and. Uh, the last day me and Mike were last meal was sitting there and uh, she come by all the abbots, all the high priests come down to me and Michael and bowed in front of me. And I just broke down crying because it was an I knew it was on a connecting without verbal. I was on a touch and she was on a touch and we were on a having that connection. So it was an amazing experience. Mm. So I come back over there and I come back to Ireland and uh, my mum is still in the hospital. She's a little bit better better to see me but the chatter of life was so fast I needed to slow down because my mind was just noises everything was just vibrant because I had been living in a jungle mm. <laughs> eating whatever was given to me you know like it was ended up being like in a womb mm. the womb you know and then I was took out of the womb and I was like trying to be dropped on earth so I tried to get back into my recovery aspect I started tying back in but still there was something missing in me and uh, I went to the sanctuary what I was saying earlier and that didn't work out and I, I left and went down to the elbow rooms and I walked into the elbow rooms and I'm an energy person I don't be around drama anyone negative will just move away because I know what that does to me psyche and I know what it does to me spirit you know I've been in the dark for long enough I've been disconnected from this connection so today I try not to let people take that. Hmm. It's sometimes it doesn't be the obvious that way. So I went into the elbow rooms and uh, I was teach I was paying for classes and uh, there was a guy called Keith as well. He was a crab McGar guy and he was going back to Brazil and he says, Why don't you ask Lisa? And I used to see Lisa as a school teacher. So <laughs> school teachers in my day put me outside the class, so she was gonna put me outside the class. So <laughs> I remember you know what I mean. She has that real you know, administration. I'm saying nothing. No, your faces <laughs> are all, can you see it on the camera? <laughs> but I remember going up to her a couple of times to ask her because I was paying for classes and uh, I just hadn't got the courage, you know, and then one day I went up and she said it to me and I says, no. And she says, well, you're paying for classes, you're here every day. I said, I want to be a teacher, the top of the class. And she says, well, it'll help you. So she done that so I was making soup I was washing floors I was caretaking I was humble so I know what humility is for me humility was admitting that I had a problem with drug addiction and I needed to change humility was I needed to take responsibility for the cause and effect that I had suffered everyone else around me and I couldn't do that today humility showed me to turn up when my head said don't you're not worth it you know humility when I'm full of fear and admitting that I'm full of fear when I used to go to every class that I teach, I'd be saying a serenity prayer full of fear before I taught. 
I'd be in the toilet saying a prayer. And I still say that prayer today for other things and everything because it's like an anchor. It's like, I've got your back. Yeah. It's a reaffirming, you know. Yeah. So I'm blessed, you know. So I went in there and I became an apprentice. She passed me on to the lady, Susan Church, amazing woman. And I remember I used to go up to Ratmoyne's to her studio and I'd be there and I'd be studying and I'd be apprentice and I'd be helping setting the class up and all. And I remember one day she was teaching the class on a verbal aspect and there was about 20 people or 18 people in the class and there was a lady that was blind and that lady that was blind was doing the same thing as everyone that wasn't blind and I was just blown away by that. I couldn't believe you could do that. You could give someone something even though they couldn't see what you were giving them. But they could take every Q&A or every Q and do exactly as everyone else. And it was amazing to see because it was at the back of the class and I was like, wow, could that ever happen to me? It did. You know, uh, I, I don't, I, it doesn't matter. I do a lot of voluntary stuff. Mm. It, money is not a key for me today, you know peace of mind and doing other things for people and helping people, that's me. That's me value. Mm. You know, I heard a saying before, uh, it's not what you leave, it's it's not what you leave on people, it's the mark you leave on people. Mm. You know, and I think I leave good marks on people today. Mm. You know, I have a good moral belief and values today, you know, as best I can, but we can still fall short on me. Mm. But I remember I was in a class and a woman she came over to me at the end of the class and she was deaf and dumb. And I was doing the class and I'd just done it and she came over and she started talking with a, a, as best she could and she told me she was a, it was an amazing class and she got everything but she was explaining through hands. And the, the proudness, because Susan showed me that too. Mm -hmm. She passed that on to me yeah. and she's passed so many good tools on to other teachers over the years and she gave me the ability to be confident and be accountable in my class. That it's not about how good I look on them. It's how the people that come in that are injured look good on them. Mm. How you look after them. And you bring everyone back to that. Mm. And they walk around that person. And I've always been that way, you know. That That is like we were chatting downstairs about keeping a, a feeling of being human, being warm. And I think now the, the yoga world is becoming... Oh, no, the yoga industry. Because I think it's important to establish between yoga and the yoga industry. I think in the yoga industry, we're starting to move towards um, it being like a, a fitness class, which I'm guilty of too. You know, sometimes like <coughs> I, I teach it like it's just a movement class. I I, I do that, and um, but the but really, it's it's uh, taking the time for people, and and I think that like if you. But 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 introducing humor, I think, is so important. Mm -hmm. And as you were saying um, earlier downstairs, that like having the, as we said, the gift of the gab. But like at having the the chat and be able to communicate with people, I think, is what sets you apart. You know, you can have all the the skills in in terms of know how to teach a good class, but how you engage with people. So say like you were talking about when you were growing up, and I knew this, I know this about you before, but working the markets in the Christmas markets, for example, mm -hmm. and having dealing with people. This is something that we're lacking so much because we spend so much time alone. Yeah. Technology is so good because it gives us convenience. But when you're walking down the street... Isolation. Isolation. It gives you isolation. And actually, you lose... Well, I'm, I'm talking, when I say you, I'm talking about me. 
I, I remember working for an AI company, which is a great company, but I spent all day not speaking to anyone. And then I actually lost my skill of talking. And, and I, confidence. And, 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 yeah, and confidence and also uh, cues. Like if I say something to someone, how does it land? When I say it, what's their facial reaction? Can I pick up on it? I actually lost that, Keith. And, um, and I find that now back in, uh, as yoga gets more and more popular, more and more people are coming to class, it's great to see 30, 40 people in the class, but something is lost when you have that many people. At the same time, though, <coughs> without contradicting myself, um, because there's pros and cons to everything, when you go to a class that has 30 people in it, as a student, I quite like that energy. So, um, But yeah, my point is that, the, as you said, the yoga is looking after the people who, say, have a challenge like being deaf or being being blind. Um, for you now, what's the... What's your your yoga practice now? I don't mean as in your own personal one, but in terms of uh, like teaching well, and, and practice, I suppose, yeah. Well, most of the time it'd be vinyasa. Yeah. I like strong, but I can bring it back to soft. But lately, for the past couple of months, I've been doing Ashtanga, home practice all the time. For my own practice, mm. like, I think yoga is, it's labelled, you're either this or you're that. You're hard or you're soft. Some days I'll do soft. My body will tell me what I'm doing. The class format, when I go in, I have a plan. Like most teachers, and I talk to many teachers, we have a plan of a structure we're going to go in. But then something comes into the class that changes that at that moment. Mm. And we go with, well, okay, we need to, okay, they have an injury, we need to change the dynamics of the class. I can't do that now. It has to be low impact. It has to be a lot more holding, a lot more breathing, a lot more connection, finding length rather than strength. And it's over time I've I've changed the toolbox. Like I've loads of different practices that I can turn to. But it's always back to when I think I'm gonna do something, I do the opposite. <laughs> and that's what happens. Do you know the why? Best laid plans yeah, never and, go to plan. And I I've had a thousands of times people come up and go, Wow. Other teachers in my class, wow, that was unbelievable. And I had no intention of being unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It was because we were all in sync. Mm. You know, when I do my flow, I correct people. I, I give them information of learning rather than compressing. Because it's about uplifting, not depressing. Because a lot, even in uh, Trigonasana, everyone wants to touch the top. I like touching the ceiling. <laughs> nice. Because I'm not falling into a forward banana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm elevating, I'm learning, I'm trying to find that long gate. I'm connecting with everything that's... I'm trying to I'm trying lift to lift people up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think when people say about a plan and I'm going to teach this class, that is, and I've done it myself, that is very much ego. Like, this is the plan I'm going to do. No matter who comes into the class or what the situation is, this is the plan I'm going to stick to it. But in fact, this a massive skill I have found is to be able to be adapt. Uh, adapt. Yeah. And, and think on the spot and to be, and you do that by, um, being being kind of being aware of what what's happening around you but that is and i think that is a, a skill that as as you were saying is something that you get by practicing yoga uh, as a lifestyle as opposed to these are just a, a bunch of postures um do you what's what draws you to ashtanga the sequence how the walls that you meet every day that you're doing mm. 
the walls that come up every day. Because some days the practice, you're going to that part, like I'm onto the second sequence now and I'm down at a certain point. And I know when I'm coming to that, I'm fatiguing with all the vinyasas jumping back. Yeah. You know, but I'm consistently trying and trying. And then I'm using props. And I think the props is important to find the body alignment to let the body feel safe to go into the postures because we compensate as human beings. Mm. We sit a certain way, our posture, our energy, whether we're rounded, we're not confident, we're not elevated. Do you know, we sit how we feel. Mm-hmm. We train how we feel. It's like, uh, I'm not cross over, CrossFit. Mm-hmm. You know, at the start of CrossFit when you're doing a, a sequence of an EMOM and when you're training because we've done it. And, but when you, you're doing it perfectly, the first round, the second round, then you're losing the fatigue, then you're losing the alignment, then your thinking is gone, the breathing is gone, and then injury comes into yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. You know, on a yoga mat, injury should never come into it because if you're in right alignment and you're connected with your breath and you're aware of where you are in your planes, mm. you're in your natural flow. And if you're connected with your breath, it doesn't matter how flexible. Like I used to think that I had to have my toes my head to my toes, it's not about that. Mm-hmm. It's about the act of getting down and trying to connect in that moment of that panic. Mm-hmm. What can I do to make this easier? Because then when life hits me with something, what can I do? Like only two years ago, my mum died in my arms Christmas night. Stevens is night, she died in my arms. I got to the hospital and she, they were all screaming and there was all drama and panic and all. And I was driving to the hospital with my partner at the time and she was trying to do Grand Theft Auto and break lights and I said to her, stop, just stop. And she says, no, I want to get you there, I want to get you there. I says, I don't have to prove anything. I went to plays with my mum, I went to gigs with my mum, I went out on dates with my mum. I brought her flowers on Valentine's Day, she didn't even know they were from me in a card. Every year, I used to go up and ask her, who's that from? That's community, that's service, that's yoga to me. I might have not been on a mat where when she was dying, I was holding her hand, I was meditating through me to her. I was giving her me love, I was giving her me empathy, I was giving her me breath, I was giving her me essence because she gave it to me. So when I got to the hospital, my whole family were full of anxiety, stress, hey, you're on the missing. And I walked in and the lights started dimming. It was surreal. God was in the room and I believe in that kind of stuff. You know, I've had so much miracles in my life today. I'm a miracle that I'm here. I'm a miracle other people around me are here. We see miracles every day. We see a lot of derogation, see a lot of sadness, a lot of homelessness, a lot of abandonment. We can identify with that. I have empathy with that. We come from that. But I'm one of the blessed ones today. So if we can give a message today, we can heal. We can get up out where we are. Once you put one foot in front of the other, you know, if you land on your back, you can get up. But you know, the, 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 what's important to realise within us and within each other is that human beings are complex. Very and much so. I think that sometimes we pigeonhole people into where they're from, what they look like, mm. all that stuff. I like I remember I've spoken about this on the podcast before. I was uh, I knew someone who I don't know anymore, and they I remember once they were they're kind of like uh, okay now I won't judge them basically they because I'm talking about non judgment they referred to someone as a junkie, mm-hmm. and they said uh, and the way they said it like oh there's junkies. Like this, and I th- and I thought, and this is someone involved in this is a yoga teacher, mm-hmm. and I thought, how can you do that? How can you like just 
but it was the way it was said it was so like this person is that that's what you're putting them down to they're a junkie but not, that's their not perception this, of what they believe and, and and which is because then you're saying that instead of saying this is a human being who was a baby once you were a baby once their parents really loved them and they held them and they told them they were great um or your parents sorry after you told you were great but their parents probably didn't and that is the, and but yet you're going to call them a junkie and when i when i met um like i think that's the key thing because even with ourselves i know for me i think i'm this type of person i i've i've always been this type of person and we fix that in our head because so many people have told us that yeah. and then it just it, reaffirmed yeah, what we are we reaffirm what we are instead of no we can change and w- our thoughts can change and we can disagree with ourselves a year later or whenever it was um because that's how we learn And, that, and that's how how we grow, and I think that if we don't do that, um, we start to uh, create divides between us. But there is a divide: rich, poor, upper class, lower class. Yes. Yeah. Strong, weak. Mm-hmm. Districts are where you live. Mm. You're judged. Like uh, uh, from where I'm from, Dublin Seven. Most of the t- job interviews when you put these seven. Now it's different because there's different environments and different. Stuff on being in, injected in collateral properties, all that kind of stuff. So it's building up, so it's changed. But if you say you're from Sheriff Street or somewhere hill and you put that on the CV, you're not going to get the job. Straight away, you're going to be judged from the outside in. You're going to be judged in the environment and what's on the according in that environment. So you are where you are, where you are. But you've transcended that. But that's only 1%. Like there's loads of people that has done this and loads of famous people have done it that have come into recovery and changed the perception of what an addict is. Look at Russell Brand, mm. Anthony Hopkins. Mm. There's loads of them. Christy yeah. Moore. They all like they're not breaking their on a minute, they they all already broke their own. Mm-hmm. There's loads of people. Like I'm no better and no worse than anyone with a silver spoon, with a wooden spoon, with a fork. Do you know? I'm no better and no worse, you know. Mm. Life thrown stuff at me that caused me to act in a certain way to try and stay safe in that environment. And that's it. I don't apologise for who I am. I know what I'm about today. I, I know I'm a good person. I know I have a good heart and I know I'm an asset. Mm. I'm not a liability, you know, because a lot of people, you know, you were talking about someone saying about an addict, but many people have alcoholic families, oh. members, but they're not alcoholic. They're dysfunctional, but they're functional. Yeah. We justify to suit our own. And it's all about the Joneses, what it looks like on paper. Mm. You know? But, but, and and what, uh, speaking of what it looks like on paper, I mean, when I the reason why when I met you I was so intrigued was because I we do it, I do it myself. I I my instinct I think it's a survival instinct. You yeah. meet someone, you're like, right, I need to categorize this person quickly because I need to understand uh how i can deal deal with what i'm dealing with exactly the same way if someone came to your door and they were wearing a suit and had a briefcase you'd probably answer differently than if they were like wearing a hood over their head and carrying a bat so this is so we have to make a snap judgment in order to survive but sorry okay um but when i met you i thought okay this is a guy shrill strong in the city dublin accent he does jiu-jitsu uh he's tough guy like rolls very hard and but yet he does pilates i thought what this doesn't make sense to me i can't put my brain can can compute and that's why it, it was a puzzler for me and i think that's what i think a lot of people find that quite fascinating when someone is um has multiple disciplines 
But you, we only really find this out about people when we speak to them. Because when I first met you, I thought oh, this is a, a kind of a tough guy who's probably soft. So who's probably like uh, a West Ham fan and uh, you know Live up headbutts people and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, that's everything. But um, but this is, um, and I sh- I'm ashamed to say that you know, but because I would have li- I would have cut myself off from ever meet from ever actually speaking to you, and I think that as I get older, I try to keep that curiosity. To, I remember saying to you, and it sounds a bit homoerotic, but I was like, man, you're in great shape. in the changing room. I was like, man, you're in great shape. What age are you? And you were like, I'm 44 or something like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought, that's, that's an inspiration because I want to keep in good shape. And, but to have that um, constant curiosity, which I think we should all do as adults, I think we really lose we have that. To be open. Have to be open to ask questions that may sa- seem socially awkward or may seem a bit too direct because that's how we break down the barriers um, to start to understand each other does it say no break bread with an animal yeah and that's the truth I remember the day I sat in the other rooms with you and you were telling me about how unmanageable your emotional life was with the work that you were doing I was seeing the sadness in your eyes and I was impelled to tell it change it <laughs> that's what I said to you do you remember yeah change it if you don't like something change it we are not told that we can change into whatever we want to be. what? So here's a scenario. From 20 to 40, we work in a job we don't like. We settle in the job we don't like. From 40 to 60, we work in that job full of resentment to save for a pension that 1% only make. And in all that time, we're chasing something that we never probably won't get to. Where's the now? What are we living in now? What have you got now? What's the substance? What's the essence of what you are now? How are you feeling? How are you interacting? How are you enjoying now? Mm. And I think when you step into the yoga room, you have to live in the now. Because for that hour or whatever time you're there, you're with you, the uncomfortable you, the true you, because all the walls of all the distractions are took away. Mm. That's why I love getting on my mat. I sent my mat in the night out. For the next morning. You say what again? I set my mat out okay. the night before. Very good. I set the alarm a half an hour earlier. I do a bit of Wim half breathing to get the flow going. Mm. And then I just let my flow and whatever comes out. Some days it's amazing. Some days I'm like second guessing myself and undervaluing what I've just done. But it's about stepping from reality, which is normality, <laughs> <laughs> onto a mat, which is real in the reality because you're not running. Mm. You know, and the thing with my mum when I was saying to her when we were walking down and I went in, my brothers and all, they were all, you're on a miss now, she's on a passing away. When I went over, I just felt the light pulse and I lifted her up 